0: You're listening to the Writers' Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Sue Mell about her debut novel titled Provenance. Sue's writings have won the Chestnut Review Prose Chapbook Award as well as being a finalist for the St. Lawrence Book Award. Her writings have appeared in various magazines, including Jellyfish Review and Cleaver Magazine. Her debut novel, which we'll be talking about today, was the winner of the 2021 Blue Moon Novel Award. Welcome to the show, Sue.
1: Thank you so much, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, you know, let's jump right in a little bit. How, how long did you work on Providence and how did it feel to have it finished?
1: Uh, well, it's amazing <laughs> to have it be done. Um, I started, uh, it started as a short story when I was in graduate school and became um, my thesis, the first hundred pages of the original draft. Um, took me about another year and a half to finish that uh, original version, which I sent around to agents to very little feedback at all, uh, one no and a lot of ghosts. Um, and then I was looking into uh, working with an developmental editor or doing I wanted to do something or chopping it up into stories I didn't know what and then I uh, heard about bookends which is a mentorship program for revising a draft of a novel through uh SUNY Stony Brook Southampton so I applied and I got a fellowship and then I spent another year um revising the novel and in that year I actually rewrote the whole thing I only kept Two short scenes and some description and wow. everything else mm-hmm. yeah um so a long <laughs> a long process um so finished in the end of um the uh, first half of 2020 right as covid started mm. um and then i sent to many many agents and submitted to some independent presses and some contests and then was very excited to win um so that was a
0: real thrill. I got you. Well, you know, one of the things that authors talk about all the time, and so I have to ask, is how do you know when something's finished?
1: Um, well, if you have mentors, you can ask them <laughs> what they think. I, I mean, I do think that at a certain point you kind of feel like you're done, uh-huh. which means that either you are done or you need to, you know, set it down for a while. Um, yeah. It's 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 always hard after something is finalized and in print, and then you read it and you're like,
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's funny that you say that. Sometimes authors will say, I know I've had this experience too. You've been doing rewriting, rewriting, and then you pick it up one day to rewrite, and you just say, Oh, this is awful. Have you had <laughs> have you had that experience? Not about this. No. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, it's that <laughs> but about mo-
1: earlier shorter work. Sometimes I'm like, Brrr, yeah. <laughs> how
0: was I sending that around? I got you. Now you have written award-winning essays as well as as short stories. Talk about yes. the decision to make the leap to writing a novel. Was it this short story you've told us it started is that that made that decision for you, or you know were you thinking about it anyway and and decided to do it with this one?
1: Uh, actually I really really resisted (laughs) I never um, thought of myself as writing in long form Um, I was always interested in short stories and always imagined publishing collections um, you know which has become harder and harder to do as the years go by Um, and even this story uh, you know, when it started, when I was in graduate school, I kept saying to my supervisor that semester. I said, "Oh, I, I think I could at like 30 pages." I was like, "I think I can see. It's a long story, but I can. I think I can see where it ends." And she was like, "I don't really think so." Mm. <laughs> She's like, "Just keep going. Just keep going." And by the time I was at like 60, 70 pages, uh, I was like, "Okay, maybe it's a novella." <laughs> uh, uh-huh. And and then I just finally had to admit that I was well into the beginning of a novel, and so I just forged ahead.
0: Is it Does making it a novel, in other words a longer piece, could present um, different difficulties for you than when you're writing a short story?
1: It does. Uh, you know, in some ways a short story is a snapshot of a particular moment um, or the effects of a series of moments over time. Um, more as a novel is, is, is you know, dem- demands, you know, the reader needs something. Uh, it's more complex in characterization and um, in, in uh, drama.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: It's larger in scope.
0: Um, okay. Well, and, and I guess it gives you more ability to flesh out additional things, additional themes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Think, Go ahead.
1: But uh, I always had a, the, I always had the same kind of arc for mm-hmm. the main character, DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that he wouldn't necessarily redeem his own life so much as become a significant figure in the life of his young niece.
0: Yeah. Um, well, he does. He doesn't know that going in. So let's talk a little bit about him. In in Providence, you've created this main character, DJ whose wife Belinda has died, and he's trying to reconstruct his life and his future. Have you yes. had such losses in your own life or those close to you that you drew on in writing about his journey?
1: Um, yes.
0: Okay. All right. You um, want to tell us about that or is that, should we skip over that?
1: Well, uh, it's so difficult. I, I did have a very close friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Whose death had a tremendous that loss was a was a tremendous loss on me and his wife and kids. Um, really, my best friend's husband, uh-huh. um, and uh, th- that did uh, kind of t- caused a turnaround in my life, which which uh, probably ultimately led to my writing. I um, see. In a way.
0: Well, um, you know, when things like that happen, I've always thought a door opens. That sounds kind of trite. Um, you know, you have to decide whether to walk through it or not, right?
1: Yes, yes. All right. I think that's true.
0: Well, authors tell me, and I'm going to use DJ as our example, that if they create a good character or characters, that the characters actually help write the story. Um, Did you find that to be true with DJ or with any of the other characters?
1: Uh, I'm definitely uh, one of those writers who sits in a chair and kind of, tries to invade the space of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely listen to what, you know, I hear what the, in my head what the characters are saying. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, definitely the dialogue is driven by the characters.
0: <laughs> well, by way of example, I had an author one time tell me, he said, you know, sometimes I'm writing a scene and the, and the character says, no, I'm not going to do that. And and I've had other authors say that they live with their characters for months at a time in dialogue in their head. Have you had any type of experience like that?
1: Uh, Definitely the characters talking in my head, Mm
0: -hmm. for sure. Okay. All right. All right. So in the prologue to the book, DJ is recounting and reminiscing about the various items that were purchased by him and Belinda during their marriage. And I was struck, first of all, I think that was a, an excellent way to start it, but I was struck by the fact that um, without memories, without relationships attached to those memories, you know, there really is a question about who we are. And that, it seemed to me, was part of what DJ's dilemma was going forward. Is that right?
1: I'm, I'm not about who he is with without his wife.
0: Yes, you? ma'am. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um Uh, I think that's true, although, I mean, that's an excellent observation, although I don't think that I necessarily thought of it that way. Um,
0: Well, it's a universal theme, it seemed to me, and of course that's always helpful in writing. Um, But it is, DJ's dilemma is going forward is kind of who is he? I mean, I think if my memory is correct in the book, he kind of has a very, a couple of flings trying to figure out, you know, what he wants to do, how he wants to live. Um, before he makes the decision, which we'll talk about in a minute, to kind of go back home, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. I think he is definitely looking to latch on to something else, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah. and that he's always framed himself within the context of a, of a another person, of another a woman that he's in a relationship with. Yeah. Um, so without that, yeah, that he is is lost in in. In a certain way, and I
0: think lots of folks can identify that with that. Can I get you um, perhaps to read an excerpt from the book for us?
1: Yes, I would love to.
0: Okay, and if you need to set up a particular scene or whatever, just tell us a little bit before you read it.
1: Uh, not really. I I think this. I think it's self-explanatory. Okay. Okay. DJ's collection of guitars had not started out as such. They'd simply been the guitars he played—an acoustic, an electric and the sentimental holdover of a 12 string from the 70s. He wouldn't accumulate, he'd merely trade up, selling off what he had to attain something finer. And then, in the early years of his marriage, they'd had people over so often who played or sang or could at least carry a basic harmony that it seemed only natural to have a second guitar around. It was really the advent of Craigslist that led him astray. If you had to go into a music store, Have the clerk pull an instrument down from a ceiling rack, reveal your meager chops in a room full of kid prodigies and studio musicians. It made you less inclined. But to amble over to someone's apartment, maybe jam with them for a little while, hear the story behind their giving up a prize guitar, that was a temptation he found hard to resist. It was interesting just to see how other people lived, and when Belinda died, it was a salve for his loneliness. The woman he'd bought the Martin from was a talented musician and contemporary composer, an academic with a Patti Smith vibe who turned out to be dying herself. For a month or so, they joined their sorrows. He'd have paid more for the guitar, would have bought her baby grand and the beautiful Persian rug beneath it if he'd had somewhere to put them. He'd have moved in, which they'd briefly considered one rainy afternoon, nestled on her couch, listening across the spectrum from Satie to the Pogues to Miles Davis. She was one of those people who could play almost any instrument she picked up. He told no one about her or the time they'd spent or how hard they both wept when she insisted he move on. Ah.
0: Well, let me ask you, by the way, I love your musical references throughout. Do you play music?
1: Um. Uh, n- n- mattering. Mattering. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like a tiny tiny little bit of piano, tiny bit of guitar. I played cello a little bit seriously in high school in the beginning of college, but um, I didn't keep it up.
0: All right. Well, it's interesting. I'm going to go back to metaphor here. My friends who play guitar have always told me that you have to have more than one guitar. You have to have three, four, five guitars. (laughs) And when I've asked, and no, but I'm curious about this in reference to DJ a little bit. I'm I'm diving a little deeper here, if you let me. When I've asked them why, you know, because I don't play, they say, well, you get to have a different personality with each guitar. Yes, Is, That's a little bit relevant to DJ, I think, as he's trying to find his way.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, each, each guitar has its own particular sound and its own personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really true. And um, they fit different moods and um,
0: yeah, well, again, with D.J., I just saw it as, again, an example of him exploring, trying to find out who he is. Well, let's let's get back to the story. Okay. In, in trying to move forward, D.J. moves back to the town where he grew up, and he moves in with his sister, Connie. Was it significant to you in crafting the story that he returns home in order to try to start over?
1: Yes, because... Um you know home it, it's kind of a twist, you know we think of home as like everybody you know home is where the heart is, home is where you hang your hat, you want to go home, but for him, home represents a, a a kind of failure. you know his intent in returning home is to is is to, is giving up his life brooklyn new york is his is his life and the life that he shared with belinda and um so going back to Hurley is just basically abandoning. He imagines that he it will abandon the world and just kind of have this quiet life living in her half-finished basement with no future, you mm-hmm. know, just one day after the next, no responsibilities.
0: Yeah, he's kind of given up a little bit, right?
1: Yes, quite a bit.
0: Okay, yeah. but it turns out that moving back home has its own problems. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's not quite as, as simple a world as he thought. In other words, you know, it's not the safe landing he expected, because exactly. his sister's life is not going so well, right? Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, let me get you to read one more excerpt, for, excerpt from us, or for okay. us, excuse me.
1: All right. Uh, here we go. Um, so this is actually an excerpt from towards the end of the book, but uh-huh. it, it, again, it reflects back on, on his earlier life with Belinda. Okay. Um, and, that, and the immediate effects of that loss holed up in the crumbling chaos of his Brooklyn apartment with no one else's concerns but his own he'd been able to indulge every now and then not in a fantasy per se but in a subtle imagining that Belinda was still with him, was still alive in any number of incarnations of her younger self, just in another room, he couldn't do it deliberately, it didn't work like that the moment would arrive of its own accord a sense of peacefulness mixed with a pleasurable bass note of anticipation. If he didn't pay it too much attention, if he was able to let that light wash of feeling be, it was as though he could slip for a few comforting seconds into an earlier time. Belinda not dead or even sick, but merely in the kitchen putting water on to boil. Belinda in their bedroom, standing before their closet with its janky door, trying to decide between two summer dresses. Their narrow bathroom, filled with steam as she stepped from the shower, wrapped herself in the turquoise and white-striped towel she claimed the softest, while he, not ten steps down the hall, would be setting the needle down to daydream Believer, one of her all-time favorites, or passing through the doorway forever half-curtained with her dry-cleaning, on his way to the living room to assemble a perfect playlist, download something new, curating the soundtrack, the bed of music beneath their lives.
0: Hmm. Well, go ahead, I'm sorry, I I interrupted you. Oh,
1: I was going to read a little more, um, but... Uh, There was always the grief that lay in waiting, attached to a particular lyric, a melody. He'd indulge in that clean release, too. But this was something else, a revival of her physical self, a body memory, a residual essence billowing into form, his desire reaching of its own volition through space and time, and it wasn't always music that brought it on. The first time it happened, he'd been digging through the scarves and hats they stored in a low cedar dresser in the hall, looking for the match to either of two single gloves, once he'd been clipping his toenails, it was the ordinariness, the habitual contours of their days and nights, a flipbook of repeated actions sourced from a million frames, the two figures aging across the riffling pages. There was no particular moment that he wanted back. He wanted any one of them. He wanted them all. Hmm.
0: Well, your writing, by the way, is wonderful. It's very poetic, and, and I know I really enjoyed it. I think readers will, too. But oh, thank you so much. There's an unexpected relationship, and we've touched on it a little bit, which develops between D.J. and his niece, Elise. Um, tell us what you think, as you were writing it, that this relationship plays in D.J. reconstructing his life.
1: Um, it was always the, the thing that was going to make his life worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, and to end something unexpected to him, also. He has no particular, uh, I mean, he's a very people person, but he didn't have a particular affinity for kids. Um, but uh, Elise is a smart and uh, quirky kid, and they have this immediate rapport. Um, and I think that he finds. Uh, Kind of like a companion soul in mm-hmm. her, um, and and she also in him. Um, you know, everybody in the story is going through, has either just gone through or is in the middle of some kind of loss. Um, she's losing her dad, you know, through divorce, and and um, well, I don't want to give away too much, but mm-hmm. um, so that the two of them connect in a way that's um, very particular and kind of. Uh, you know, it sounds corny, but 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 is essentially healing for, for both of them.
0: Yeah. Well, have you found just in writing in general that I'm going to use the phrase flawed characters are much more interesting than uh, the so-called perfect ones? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do, and they're interesting to write about. They're interesting to consider, um, and because we all are so flawed, you know, I think we compartmentalize all the. Difficult parts of ourselves, but um, I think it's a way to um, consider our own lives. Also, yeah. you know, I mean, as a writer, it's a way—it's a way for me to consider my own life and my own. Um, <laughs> families yeah. or Yeah.
0: Maybe, yeah. I think it, it allows the writer to—I I don't know if this is the right phrase—to kind of explore their own emotional space. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Now. This unexpected relationship reminded me a little bit of an old ministerial saying and setting aside the religious aspect, the idea that sometimes the miracle you pray for is not the one you get. And that's that's what really happens with DJ, right?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay. All right, so I want to come back to music here for a minute. I'm a big music fan as well. You talked about the guitars that he owns. You also, in the book, talk about records that he owns. And there are various references to uh, songs, uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan or Fleetwood Mac. What role did you see music playing in the story? And, and this is a question listeners will sometimes ask. Um, in particular, why did you pick the songs you picked?
1: Um. You know, uh, I think music and art you know have both been, you know, visual arts have both been significant in my own life. Mm-hmm. And um, throughout the novel, DJ is kind of struggling with this composition that he's creating, a piece of music. Um, and I think in some ways that was me talking to myself about writing the novel and writing a, a longer work and trying to... To figure that out and tr- wanting to wanting the reader to be able to feel particular things um you know i laughed i cried i fell in love <laughs> uh-huh. what, what you're what you're hoping for what i'm hoping for um so so music was definitely a way to um access emotion mm-hmm. and um and also make kind of cultural references to a particular time and to um, someone who'd grown up in a particular era, um, and the choice of yeah. the particular songs is an interesting thing. Uh, sometimes I had something in mind. Um, D j was based on someone I once knew, so so some of the songs are songs that I associated with him mm-hmm. and and sometimes I just had a moment in a story, and I might. Google around or I might just reach for the for the first thing that came into my head and then I would go online and play it. And more often than not, I would be surprised at what I found. Uh-huh. Um, you know it would seem very um, serendipitous. Yeah. You know, or I might hear something um, online or on Spotify um, that I think, oh, oh, that would be perfect for for this scene. Okay. Well,
0: back to the issue of how our identity is. Uh, and how DJ's identity is. It's, I've always understood that identity is tied to memory, and music actually helps lay down memories, right?
1: Yes. Music um, is, you know, one of the last things to go. when um, Music and poetry, they say, when, in, in dementia. Um,
0: yeah. I, I, they use it for a therapy and that for uh, Alzheimer yeah. patients. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much, but that's one of those themes that I, I saw in this, and so let me ask you this question, because this comes up sometimes, and maybe it's happened with you with Providence or some of your other writings. Have you ever had folks read your writings and tell you what they got out of it that was just not on your radar when you wrote it?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah? That's a good, good feeling?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. And, and in a way, it's something that I always hope for mm-hmm. you know you you make something and you have your idea of what the experience is but you know i think you have to or i i always want to give the work a life of its own in a way which <laughs> sounds kind of like woo woo but no. um but that it it should stand alone and people should be able to there should be room for people to bring their own interpretation and their own experience of the of the book you
0: know? yeah yeah all right so let me let me end with this question. then you know some authors will say when I ask that they write for themselves, and others will say, "Well, you know I write to address social issues or political issues. What role does writing uh play for you?
1: I definitely write to express myself um but but most importantly, I'm always looking to move people um because that's what I enjoy. <laughs> Um, I like to be moved by a book um, or a play or a piece of music. Um, so I'm always hoping hoping to do that in some way.
0: And get folks to reflect?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a bonus, yeah, okay. for sure. Okay.
0: Right.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, for right. sure.
0: Well, Sue, so that's all the time we have for today. Um, for everybody listening, you've been listening to Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and I've been speaking with author Sue Mel about her debut novel, Providence. Sue, is there a website or other social media sites that people can go to in order to learn more about your, the book, about your yes. writings, and about you? Could you give us those? You can, yeah. you
1: can find me at suemelwrites.com.
0: And, that's, and everything
1: is up there. The book, mm, Twitter. Uh, Instagram. Um, I am on social media. <laughs> okay, uh, and you can find out about upcoming events. I have a reading on July 30th in Manhattan for people in the New York area okay. at uh, Blue Gallery, and that, uh, that's all up there too.
0: Okay, and it's Sue Mel, M E L L, folks. Sue, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Mike. It was a complete pleasure. Thank you. So all
0: right. Much.